Who's glad the sun came out today? I was not happy about the gray this morning, and the Lord just surprised us with the sun. Hallelujah. Uh, we're going to get into the Word of God, the living, active Word of God. Uh, so if you have a Bible uh, with you, would encourage you to open that up to the book of Revelation. If you'd like to use a device, you can pull that out too. I just always encourage you to look at these words for yourself. And not just when you're here, walk out of here and look at them again and talk to the Lord about them and be like, was that true what he said? You need to know that you know that this is true. Don't ever be in a place where your answer to somebody about the word of God and about Jesus is, well, so-and-so said, No. <laughs> that should not be your answer. You should be able to say, I know the Lord is. I know the word of God says. Or if you don't, be confident enough to say, I don't know. That's a good answer. It's an honest answer. But so we've been in this series on the coming of the Son of Man, which may sound intense. We've been looking at the book of Revelation. And if this is your first time with us, you'd be like, whoa, this is a deep dive. I promise you'll be okay. I want to promise you that the book of Revelation is an awesome book to dive into. The first verse tells you exactly what it's about. It's about blood and plagues and earthquakes. No, it says the revelation of Jesus. The book of Revelation is all about Jesus. Keep that as your focus and you never be afraid of it. In fact, I would say it was, the book of Revelation is one of the first texts of the Bible that I encountered the Lord in as a young child changed my life forever. Just opened it up, started reading, and I knew that what I was reading was true, and I knew that Jesus was in the room. I would just encourage you to uh, approach the book of Revelation that way. So we've been in this series on the coming of the Son of Man. That's a, another name for Jesus, and we've been looking at the book of Revelation, and I don't come to this as some sort of expert you may like it or you may not like it, but I actually have no Bible degrees. Um, I've taken some theology classes, but I'm just a, a humble believer like you who approaches the Word of God with childlike faith like you, who trusts the Holy Spirit is more than enough, just like you. Um, and my goal with you, hopefully, is that we would find Jesus, that we would know Him. He's the prize. Jesus is the prize. Uh, he is the king. Jesus is the king that everyone wants. Did you know that? They don't all know it, but we all want what only Jesus can bring. And when Jesus is enthroned and acknowledged as king, all the wrong things will be made right. How many of you see wrong things you want made right? You want Jesus. Every human being on the planet wants Jesus whether or not they know it. Um, we live in such a time right now where uh, it just feels like the spiritual temperature is so high in so many ways. And really, I believe people, I'm experiencing it talking to people that even this fall, people are hungry to know Jesus. They are desperate to find truth because deception is running high. Two, confusion is running high. False narratives and ideologies and even false spiritualism is at an all-time high. It's multitudes, as the Bible says, in the valley of decision. And they've tried and they've searched and they have come up empty. And we, weak little you and me, 
who love Jesus and want to know him. We get to be, for those multitudes in the dark valley of decision, a shining city on a hill. A lighthouse, a beacon in the sea of chaos is you and me because we know him. We know him. And that's what the world is looking for. And it's not about your goodness. It's about his goodness to us. It's not about our power. It's about his power at work in us. Weak jars of clay we might be, but filled with heavenly glory. Amen? Well, would you pray with faith with me as we jump into the word of God that we would see him, know him, and apprehend him in a greater way today? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it is alive. We thank you that when we gather just like this, you're here. It's not just us in the room. You're here. And so as you open up your precious living words today, I ask that you'd release your Holy Spirit. And a spirit of revelation would come that opens up our eyes to see you, that opens up our hearts to encounter you, opens up our ears to hear your voice today in ways we haven't before and that we would be changed. If you agree, you can say amen in the name of Jesus. So we're going to read today um, in Revelation chapter 15. Now, we've been going all through this, and we're uh, about two-thirds through the book of Revelation, which shows us Jesus. Jesus talks to the church, and then he begins to explain what's going to happen to prepare the earth for him to return as king. Again, the thing we all want. And a lot of those events can be pretty intense. But if we understand that it's what is necessary to see Jesus enthroned on the planet, that we know it's good, right? So we're jumping in here in John chapter 15, and, and Jesus has been speaking to his friend John, the apostle John, all the things that are going to take place before Jesus returns, all the things that will take place to prepare the earth for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, the process of heaven coming to earth. Okay, that's where we're at. And so Revelation chapter 15, we're going to jump right in. And, and so John sees this scene. Ready? I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Say great and marvelous. That is the title of today's message. <laughs> I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign. Seven angels. Just try to picture this in your mind because it's there for that. God wants you to imagine this because it's reality. And he's giving you imagination. It's seven angels with the seven last plagues. Again, we've been through several other plagues, judgments, the trumpets, the seals. Last, because with them, God's wrath is completed. Verse 2, And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. All right, so we have to stop there for a second, just to explain what, what, what's going on. It's a heavenly scene, the sea of glass. It looks like there's fire on it, and there are people there who've been victorious over the beast. The beast is the false prophet empowered by Satan at the end of the age. So these are believers like you and me who go through this tribulation period and come out winning, because that's God's will for you, that you would come out victorious over every work of the enemy, amen? So these are, the, the, these are us, in the days to come, standing with the Lord in heaven, okay? And they held, we held, us held. Okay, I'll keep reading. They held harps given them by God. Now, that's cool. I don't, we can talk about that another time. And sang the song of God's servant Moses 
and of the lamb. The song of Moses comes from, I think, Exodus 15. But this says Moses and the lamb. And again, we've talked about this. It's, it's, it's not a coincidence that the judgments in the book of Revelation look a lot like the plagues that came on Egypt because that was a foreshadow of the story to come, that the devil would be the slave oppressor like Pharaoh and God would come and deliver his people in power and victory from every work of the enemy. And so he will send judgments and plagues on the Antichrist kingdom and deliver his people into victory, amen? So they sing the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb, King Jesus. It's the end of the story. And this is that great song we all sing. Great and marvelous are your deeds. Say great and marvelous. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are all your ways, King of the nations. We've been saying something like that today, didn't we? Verse 4. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations, all the peoples will come and worship before you. Why? For your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen. We're going to stop right there. We'll pick up with it again in a second, in a couple minutes. So great and marvelous are your ways. Who will not fear and glorify? This will be our song to the Lord at the end of the age. When? In the middle of some of the most dramatic, cataclysmic events the world has ever seen. We will look at Jesus and say, great and marvelous are your deeds. Great and marvelous are your ways. That's a, a really astounding, poetic, musical way to declare that everything you are doing and have done has always been good. In fact, there's no better ways than your ways. How many of you understand that that takes a mindset shift to be able to see cataclysmic events as the goodness of God? And we're going to talk about it. We will be celebrating that all of God's ways, what may to our human flesh at times seem positive, at other times seem negative, will show his gloriousness and his marvelousness. It, they are an expression of his power, his patience, but at the end of the day, we celebrate his deeds because they are expression of his love. And we love him. We are committed to him, and we know that we can trust him, even in the midst of confusion or things that we don't understand. God is in the business right now of bringing us to the place where we can learn to understand his ways, understand his character and his nature so that on that day, we will stand in full agreement with his heart. Great and marvelous are your ways. Just and true are all of your works. Who will not fear and bring glory to your name? In other words, nothing else makes sense because we know who you are than to fear you and glorify your name. And that's where he's bringing us to. But I believe it is a process we're in and a battle for the hearts of mind of people, including us, in this season, as there is a warfare going on at the end of the age and will be even more intense as, as his coming approaches, where Satan is raging 
and Jesus is preparing. It's both and. There, there is a raging going on, and the ways of wickedness are trying to deceive those who don't know the Lord. And the pivotal issue at the end of the age, the difference between those who are saved and those who are perishing is a love for the truth. In the midst of our current culture of confusion, the most needful, needful thing is a love for truth. It is the difference between life and death in this age and in the end of the age. I want to read uh, this passage to you from 2 Thessalonians to put that in perspective. Uh, the books of First and Thessalonians actually are very companion to the, to the book of Revelation because Paul taught the Thessalonians much about the end of the age um, where John is receiving the, the revelation from Jesus. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, he says this. He says, And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refused to love the truth and to so be saved. They refused. That there will be people, and there are people on the earth, who make an act of the will to say no to Jesus, to choose to follow sinful pleasure instead and so be deceived. And this, I love that this is in the scripture that they had a choice and they refused. Because we all need to know that. I think most of you are on the side of, well, I want to choose to love the truth. I want to choose Jesus. Um, but there will be a people on the earth who refused. And, and that tells us that it wasn't that they didn't know. It wasn't that people just didn't know. Because God is merciful. And he knows what we know. And he's faithful to bring a witness of himself to every human soul. You know, what about the people that didn't hear? God will be faithful to bring a witness in every land Every tribe, people, and language will have a revelation. In fact, you could make a case from Scripture that they already do. It's called creation. And nonstop, day and night, it's screaming to us of who God is, of his glory, his majesty, his power, his holiness. And you can trace it in almost every culture. That's, that's a whole other thing. But missionary Don Williams, not Don Williams, that's you. Um, I'll remember his name. Great book, Eternity in Their Hearts. you got to read that book. It uh, talks about it. But they will have refused when they were confronted in whatever way the Lord brought them the revelation of himself. They looked at him and said, no. That, that's the situation they will be in. It won't be like, and because this is one of the big questions, right? People say, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't. A loving God is wooing people to heaven and people say, no. That's what happens. Now, the loving God reveals his nature to humanity, and some say yes, and some say, I don't want it. They refuse him. They refuse the one who created them. They refuse the one who loves them the most. That's how it happens. And so it won't be like, oh, they didn't know, and then they got swept into hell unawares. No. God will make sure in his mercy that they all have an opportunity to respond to the revelation of the truth. 
And the question for every human soul, including you and me today and tomorrow until the day that Jesus comes is, did we choose to be lovers of the truth? Because if we don't, we will be deceived. And not just about believing in God, it's not just about believing the word of God is truth, it's about loving the truth. And we have to talk about that. What does that mean? What, what, does, what does love look like? Well, well love talks of, speaks of like a relationship, right? Like you can't, you can't really love an ideology. You can't love a belief system. If you do, that's kind of weird. That's really what false religion is made of. It's about committing your, your whole self to a, a set of ideas. That, that's the spirit of religion, and that's false. But when we talk about being lovers of truth, we're not talking about loving the Nicene Creed or having a, a relationship with our belief statements. When we talk about loving the truth, we're talking about loving Jesus. He is the embodiment of truth. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus Amen? He said it himself. John 14, 6, Jesus declaring about himself, and this is a confrontative truth that I love to share with people when I'm talking about the, Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father except through me. So when we talk about loving the truth, we're not talking about like hugging the Ten Commandments, you know? We're talking about embracing the reality and the fullness of who Jesus is in all of his glorious majesty and fearsome wonder, embracing and loving him. He is the living word of God. If you want to put it this way, Jesus is the exhale of the Godhead. He is the living expression of who God is. He is the living expression of the truth. The ultimate truth from all eternity is embodied in the person Jesus. So to reject what is right and true is to reject him. But to embrace what is right and true is to embrace him. So what does it look like to love? Simply put, biblically put, to love is to prefer above yourself, to give yourself wholly to. It's what Jesus did. Greater love has none than this. I'm taking you through the book of John, my favorite book. <laughs> that was John chapter 14. John chapter 15, Jesus uh, says, greater love has none than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. And so Jesus, being the truth of God, expressed the greatest expression of love by laying his life down, by giving his all for us first. He didn't ask us to go first, he went first. He gave it all, put himself on the line. Philippians chapter two, humbled himself to love us completely and bring us to the Father. This is love, to prefer above yourself. And so when he has shown us the way to do it, we respond by loving back. We say, I make a choice of my will to prefer you. I make a choice of my will to prefer your way over my way. And to love the truth is to commit that I'm committed to love you and prefer your way over my way every time. How many of you know you're going to be in a situation where God's way doesn't always feel good? I don't want to forgive that person. I do want to commit this sin. That's rejecting the love of the truth. The love of the truth says, I don't want to do this, but I will. 
because I've committed my life to be a lover of truth. I've committed my life to prefer truth over my feelings, truth over my comfort, truth over the cultural norm. Cultural norms don't align with the truth very much these days, do they? We get to choose in the midst of it to love the truth. Is this making sense to you? This is the pivotal issue of the age that we live in right now. And I totally lost my place in the notes, so just take a deep breath. Say la. <laughs> all right, all right, I found it. <laughs> we choose to submit ourselves to Jesus and his ways above our comfort and preferences. There's a, a, a subculture at times within our American Christianity that I will call, for lack of better terms, like a feel-good Christianity, uh, where they embrace the idea of Jesus but don't embrace the love for the truth. They say they believe in Jesus, but they kind of live according to whatever feels good. And I've talked to people, even they, they say, well, I'm choosing this pathway for my life. And, you know, I prayed and I asked God to, to show me and to convict me if I was wrong, but I didn't feel like anything happened, so it must be okay. Like, I've literally had people say that to me. It's like, so you prayed to ask God to convict you, and he didn't, so it must be okay. Well, did you read what the Bible said about that? You don't have to pray about what he already told you. But this is conversations I've literally had with people. It's not about a feeling. It's about I, Jesus has already loved me to the full. I've chosen to love him his way as my way. I don't need a fresh conviction about what he's already stated his conviction about. But what happens in the, the, the feel-good culture of, you know, I want to claim Christianity but not really love truth is um, the Bible talks about your conscience can become seared. Actually, you don't feel when the Holy Spirit's like, no. Because he usually doesn't yell. Because he's not like that. But when he's like, no. And if you say, if you block your ears to the no enough times, it's like that part of your sensitivity is cauterized and you no longer have feeling there. And though he's saying no, you can't hear it anymore. And you're like, well, God must be okay with it. No, he's not. But it, this is so much endemic of kind of our cultural norm right now. You know, you hear people say stuff like, well, speak your truth. It's my truth. It's your truth. or It's whatever your truth. And I'm not against that whole idea. But as long as we understand that in perspective, your truth, my truth, what about Jesus' truth at the end of the day? Like, you can speak what you're feeling, but at the end of the day, what about the creator of the universe? He gets to speak because his truth is the ultimate truth. And he has spoken, the expression of his truth, again, forever expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. And just for the record, if you ever find yourself having to ask yourself about whatever decision you're making, is this okay? You probably want to stop and think about it. You might want to recheck the word of God. uh, Because that, is this okay, could be the sign you needed from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He is always, his ways are higher and better and always for our good. Yeah. Our ways many times lead us to deceit and confusion and destruction. 
I'm going to pick up in, in Revelation 15. You ready? Go back. Let's go back to it. So, so we have this great chorus. Great and marvelous are your works. Who, who would not fear you? Who would not glorify you? Oh, I so agree with that. Why would anyone not choose Jesus? He's so good. But after this, verse 5, I looked, John speaking, and I saw in the heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. And out of the temple came seven angels with the seven plagues. Okay, this is where it gets intense. Buckle up, get ready. They're dressed in clean, the angels. The angels are dressed in clean, shining linen, and wore golden sashes around their chests. Just see it, amazing. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. So these beautifully dressed angels are given these bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple then was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. All right, so that, that, what do we do with that? Let's just stop there and let's talk about it for a second, can we? These angels come out dressed in clean, shining, another version says white linen and golden sashes. And they're coming out with these golden bowls and the glory of God fills the temple. What does that tell you? What do you think when you see angels in this kind of glorious array? What's happening? Is this good? If the glory of God shows up in power, it must be good. If the angels are dressed in gleaming white with golden sashes, it must be good. And what are these glorious angels carrying as the glory of God fills the temple of heaven so much that no one can even go in? They're carrying the judgments of God. What does this speak to us about what they're carrying? What's, what's coming on the earth? It's glorious. It's good. All of his ways are just and good. We want to have the Holy Spirit transform our thinking about the judgments of God. They are good for us. Let me put it in perspective. I was thinking about this. And if my young child was about to run out into traffic or a, a hurtling train is coming full speed down the tracks and I see my child running at the tracks and I run and I grab him and I yell, no, and I'm aggressive and I take him away from there. Now that's pretty dramatic at the end of the day. Maybe I even forcibly push him out of the way. If you saw that scene, how many of you would say, you did the wrong thing? No, you'd say, that's the right thing. It's holy, it's pure, that's good and right. Now, if you take it out of context, you didn't see the hurtling train coming the, down the track, and all you saw was me yell, grab my child, maybe throw them out of the way. You'd think, that's abusive. That's terrible. Why would you do that? You would say, that's wrong. That's evil. If we see them out of context, we see the judgments of God out of context, we think he's being evil. We think he's being rough. We see, we think he's being abusive, but God's perspective says, I see the deception of the enemy coming at the world like a hurtling train, and the children I love are running at the tracks. God's judgments are him grabbing souls, saying, no, no. And if you see it out of context, God looks mean and angry. 
But if you understand it in context, you understand it's the passion of his heart to show mercy and to save souls from the destruction coming at them. Amen? I, him saying, I love you too much to see you utterly destroyed. Now, what if we put this in context of the gospel story, the redemptive story, where God for ages has been speaking to humanity gently, kindly, trying to woo us to himself, but we continue to wander away, and we get closer and closer to the tracks. You can't whisper anymore. You, you don't try to gently woo anymore when they're about to get on the tracks at the same time the train is coming. That's why the judgments of God in Revelation are increasingly intense, increasingly loud, if you will, is because the time is coming where it's decision, decision, no more time. And God looking at the face of the planet and seven billion plus souls saying, I'm not willing that any would perish. And yet there will be some who say no. Do you see the heart of God? And this is why even in the midst of what looks like intense judgments, if we see from God's perspective, we will say, great and glorious. Great and marvelous are your ways. That you are so kind. That you are so delight in showing mercy. That you want to rescue every soul. And bring them to yourself. It is the love. When we see the outrageous love of God, the right response that we will have is to choose to love him back. To be lovers of the truth. To celebrate his works and his ways. Even when we don't see the whole picture. To know that this is his nature. Amen? We put that other verse from Second Thessalonians. Thessalonians, say that five times fast. Uh, back in context, it talks about the end of the age and the lawless one coming. And I just want to, as we begin to wrap this up, put that in context for you. Second Thessalonians 2.8, got it the time. Um, when the lawless one will be revealed, the end of days, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow by the breath of his mouth. And destroy by the splendor of his coming. And I say this because sometimes when we talk about the, this kind of war we're at in the end of the age. And this hurtling train of deception and sin coming against us. And the judgments of God being manifest to save those who will be saved. We think, we get nervous. Right? We think, oh, you know, devil's so powerful and scary and mighty. But this so puts it in perspective. That, that this is not an equal battle between good and evil or God and Satan. It never will be equal. It can't be. You know Satan's a fallen angel, right? God made him. God is uncreated God. The, the, the playing field is incredibly tipped. <laughs> the, in other words, the devil will never win. But I love how God, uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul says this. The lawless one is going to be revealed. He's going to wreak havoc on the earth. And then when the time is right, just with the breath of his mouth. 
It's not even an arm wrestle. You know, like the breath of his mouth, Jesus will do away with the Antichrist and the kingdom of darkness. Just like that. Well, why has he not? The time is not yet right. But we don't have to be stressed. Oh, no. No, no. When it feels like darkness is creeping in, when you're nervous about the state of the world, just remember, at just the right time, Jesus is going to come. And with the breath of his mouth, thousands of years of deception, thousands of years of wreaking evil on the planet will be over. And they will never come again. This is our blessed hope. This is Jesus' return. This is what we're living in. So with this cosmic war going on in the spirit, there's no, there's no question who's going to win at the end of the day. But what lies today in the crosshairs are the souls and the hearts of men and women. You and me, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, who will we and they choose to follow? Because God gives us the dignity of decision. He doesn't force himself upon anyone. He loves us too much to force himself upon us. And love requires a voluntary heart. Love requires the dignity of free will. If we refuse him, he'll come back again. If we turn our backs to him, he will still come after us in love. It's just who he is. If we're faithless, he'll remain faithful. He cannot be anything else. That's who he is. But we will be held responsible for the revelation we've been given. Remember what I said? God knows what you know. God knows what he's shown you. God knows what every human soul has seen of him and requires us to be responsible for how we respond to the revelation we've been given. So my challenge to us, have you, are you living according to the level of truth and revelation that God has shown you? Are you living to the level of his goodness and mercy that's been revealed in your life? Did you choose to follow his ways, rejoice in his ways, or are you rejecting his voice? You know, it's one thing if we lived in another country where that doesn't allow people to talk about Jesus or where the knowledge of him is seemingly scarce, but if you have heard the truth, which all of you in this room, I'm assuming, have, if you heard about the truth of Jesus and you have access to the word of God, which you do, you'll never be able to say, I didn't know. He is good to us but we are responsible. And he's sympathetic to our weakness. He knows we're human. And he's kind and he'll keep pursuing us. But we want to be a people who on that day will be able to stand and shout with the great chorus, great and marvelous are your works. Who will not fear you and glorify your name? And it doesn't just happen in a moment because we suddenly understand. It's because we get to that place because today we've chosen a lifestyle of following him. Today, we've, we've aligned our values with his values. Today, we chose to love the truth. Does that make sense? That's how we get there, with a lifetime and a lifestyle of walking in obedience to God. 
and his ways, living a life in his testimony. And what does that look like? It looks like, yes, today I'm going to give myself to the Lord. I'm going to make time to live a life of devotion to God. I'm going to get into the word and prayer. Yes, I'm going to honor God with my resources and my tithes and my offerings, a lifestyle of discipleship, of choosing the truth. Yes, I'm going to choose integrity in my business dealings and in my personal dealings and in my relationships. Yes, I'm going to choose a life of moral purity because beauty, because holiness is beautiful. I want to tell you that the greatest joy in life will always come from choosing righteousness, choosing God's ways every time. Yes, I'm going to choose to prioritize the gathering of believers, whether it's here on a Sunday or Sunday in a, or, or in a home group during the week or the Wednesday prayer gathering. I'm going to be with God's people. I'm aligning myself with the values of the one I love. You know, great confusion Great shakings are already in the earth, already. And greater shakings will come, but remember, the shakings we're experiencing in God's heart are to draw people to himself. It's, to, it's a father drawing the souls of lost children back to himself. And the dignity of decision lies with us. Not just one time, not just, I made a decision for Jesus when I was seven, I did. It was real, but every day of my life making a decision to prefer to love God, to love his truth, every day, every day, every day, my decision to say yes. Every day, my decision to say yes to him. When many are saying no, I'm gonna still say yes to him. Let's stand together. Meredith, would you come? We're gonna close on these thoughts. And yes, as we make our daily decision We'll just end in a, with a song in a moment, but I want to give us a chance to respond to the word of God, that we get to become and be a, light, a beacon of light in the ocean of confusion and to those in the valley of decision. Let's come before him. Jesus, we thank you for loving us first. And we just declare today Great and marvelous are all of your ways. Great and marvelous are all of your works. Just and true are all of your ways. Who will not glorify you, fear you, and glorify your name? Who will not? For great are your ways on the earth. We just set our hearts in agreement that all of your ways are good, God. All of your ways are just and true. And we align our hearts to love you again. We set our wills to love you again. I want us to make a declaration together, if you will. And so I'm going to tell you what I'd like to invite you to agree with. Because I think your words matter. And then we're going to end with a, just a chorus or a song together. But this is what I'd like us to declare. So listen. So I don't want you to say it after. So I'm going to say it once and you'll get to say it with me. I don't want you to say it if you don't mean it. But I believe making a declaration with our words sets something in our soul and in the heavenlies. This is a declaration. We will love the truth. We will commit our ways to him and trust him. We will say no to the spirit of the age and deception. That's the first one. 
The second declaration I want to make. We will shine the light of his truth to a world in the valley of decision. And we will trust your ways, God. They are great and marvelous. Amen. If you can agree with that, just repeat it after me before the Lord. We will love the truth. We will commit our ways to him. Say no to the spirit of the age and deception. We will shine the light of his truth to a world in the valley of decision. And Lord, we will trust your ways. They are great and marvelous. All right. And now right here, I just want to give you a moment. I feel like it would be appropriate before we we end with a song. If there are ways in which you have been, you know that you have strayed from the Lord. You have strayed from loving his truth. You've made decisions not on loving the truth, but on loving self. I want to give you a moment right now to just repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I turn from that and I turn back to you. And maybe you're here and you've never actually made the first time decision to follow the Lord. And you say today, I am ready to say yes to him. Today, I'm ready to respond to his kindness and his goodness and his mercy. I hear his voice calling and I want to say yes to him. If that's you, right where you are, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to bless you on your journey. Amen. Lord, we say we choose you. We choose you. Let's end together with a song. Oh.